and welcome to an all-new Talking Foosball Extra, the Ausstieg edition. My name is Nick Viltagen and actually I do have to start off with a bit of bad news. We're not going to give you your usual Ausstieg experience, but we'll give you just a short rundown of what's been going on in the Bundesliga 2 over the last couple of weeks and just one little tidbit of low league news and some ground hopping advice on this episode. And if that wasn't bad enough news already, Turns out Mike Krukemeyer is too busy to join us tonight, but fear not. I'm joined by the greatest Bundesliga 2 expert and statistician there is in the entire world. It is Jasmine Barber. How are you doing today? I'm very good. How are you? You know, coughing, but all right. Right, uh, we'll be back after a short break where we'll be diving straight into what's been going on in the Bundesliga 2 of late. Well, here we go, folks. It's time to talk Bundesliga 2. So, since last, we've had sort of a merry-go-around of, you know, who's on top, who's second, who's third. For a long time, Werder Bremen, St. Pauli, Darmstadt were sort of topping the table. That has all changed because Mike Buskins seems to be an inspired appointment. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't remember how many times exactly he's been interim coach i think we talked about it a bit last time that he doesn't want to be head coach of schalke he likes being the hero in random times uh, yeah i mean if there's a funeral parlor in gelsenkirchen uh working on a stone for his grave uh that stone is probably going to be engraved with the words he used to be an interim <laughs> no um yeah since he's come in i think the first game I won't really give him because he wasn't really there because he was recovering from COVID but since his appointment they've played five games they've won all five which has taken them top of the table two points clear of St. Pauli after a 5-2 win against Darmstadt which you would notice I've started because that's two losses in a row for us and we are now two points off the pace of promotion playoff so yeah You may have, if you follow me on Twitter, you may have seen a tweet during the Darmstadt-Schalke game, and I may have just said very bluntly of, Jesus Christ, how shit was Demetrius Grimotzis. Now, I meant that in a very blunt way. Obviously, I don't think he's completely shit, but this Schalke team, throughout its depth, is a very, basically under a more capable coach or a more um, spider league experienced coach, they would have wiped the league. I mean, that, that is what we've been saying all season long, though, to be fair. I mean, we've, we've yeah. you know, I started mentioning that in the Hinland, I think, uh, when they were sort of struggling at times and, you know, just saying that, well, if, if Schalke come to their senses and hire anybody else but Grimotzis, maybe they might, you know, secure promotion and um, well it turns out they did pull the trigger at just the right point because consistency is really what is key in the Zweite Bundesliga and you know having won five on the bounce means that you suddenly jump from you know being just behind the promotion places to being top dog. Yeah and that's another key point that we've always talked about. The Grimantzis thing was just weird from the start because as I said in the past the only team he had managed like real 
senior team experience was was Darmstadt and I had seen some of those games and it's not it, the football wasn't inspiring it wasn't anti-Schalke but it didn't suit the players there at this time and what they had in the Liga. and their depth I, I was going through it today when you compare it to other teams they have a whole range of depth and not only that they obviously bought Tarada, Simon Tarada, they bought Victor Paulson both very experienced in the second league. They got Itakura from Man City on loan. They still had Tior, they still had Sane. They can also rely on their very developed youth system. They've brought people in from the youth, like um, Metrisiani, and also the Turkish one that I haven't heard enough that I cannot pronounce, Chanelogu, I think it is. I've absolutely butched that, but I don't have the name in front of me, so I can't say it. And these are the things that they needed to rely on. But I will say this, and I have said it before, and I've said it in the last episode, that the first three of this run was Ingolstadt, Hanover, Dinamo Dresden. Ones that you'd expect to win. Maybe under Grosbonses, like Hansa Rostock, and you lose 4-3. Yep, changing coach has made them win those games. The next two are harder games, Heidenheim and Darmstadt, which are completely great games to win to get you to the top. So yeah, there's a bit of both. You'd expect that five game run is because they had some easy ones and a few harder ones that have just hit their low points at just the right time for them. The question is, if they can take on Werder, Sandhausen, St. Pauli, Nürnberg, it's a hard run in, into the, the last four matches of the season because, obviously, I mean, if you compare the Bremen's run in, uh, you have Schalke away, which, you know, definitely is a, is a match that they could lose. But then it's Regensburg, Auer and Kiel, which, um, you know, all very winnable matches. So, I mean, you just would think that for Werder Bremen, in this match, it is key not to lose it. Whilst for Schalke, if we take you know a little preview of what is going to happen there next week, it's pretty much key to win it. Yep, and uh, the funny thing is, and when we take in the rest of what's happening, especially in northern Germany, the clubs in northern Germany right now, they do love a draw. They do love a one-one draw. Uh, I think Mike has used the one-one draw so much. For Hamburg, it has affected the other Hamburg team and the other one closest to it. So apparently, Verdebrim and Pauli have just jumped on the 1-1 draws. I can see, because Schalke and Verdebrim are both similar opponents in terms of um, what they're doing at home and what they're doing away, I can see a 1-1 draw there. I think that would be very good for the whole league, to be fair. Uh, especially, I think, Verder after I know Verder should kind of win. They've not. They've only won one in five games, but if you compared that run to Schalke's, it's been a lot harder, and you don't want to lose those games. So drawing those are fine, because as you said, their last three, Kiel, Auer, and Regensburg, that's winnable. So if you draw those other ones, it's fine. So that 1-1 draw, and especially on the kind of runs everyone's on, I can see the Pauli-Darmstadt game that we go into, however, I cannot call that for the life of me. Again, a 1-1 draw is probably 
that one is. <laughs> well, I mean, looking at what has happened to those two teams uh, just rather quickly, uh, Pauli is on the 1-1 bandwagon. They drew 1-1 against Sandhausen. Late equalizer for Sandhausen in that match. Uh, San Pauli's defense went to sleep there on, I think it was a corner kick. And then Darmstadt, they played Schalke, obviously, and lost 5-2. Simon Terodde and Marius Bulter really really being too much to handle for that Darmstadt uh, defense. Terodde with two goals, Marius Bolter with three goals. That leaves, I think, Darmstadt on 51 points. And then you have St. Pauli on 53, I think. And the same goes for Werder Bremen, or is Werder Bremen on 54? 54, and uh, Schalke are on 56. And to add a bit of spice into that mix, you still have Nuremberg there, kind of, right? Yep. 54, yep. That is just the match that might cost them the place in the in the promotion playoff, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Remember when they lost like 5-0 to Ingolstadt at home and we just all writ them off? Yeah, and also the week afterwards they lost 4-1 to Karlsruhe. Which, and I was like, how on earth have they got anywhere close? I still don't understand it. But anyway, Nuremberg, yep. They are sniffing around. They've got Sandhausen at home, St. Pauli away. Kiel away and Schalke at home. The funny thing is they're not really great at home or away from home. They're behind all the other teams in front of them. And yeah, it, it's just weird from them. They, it, Klaus is not good against Pauli or Timo Schultz, given it's only been three games, but it's not really good for him. So we don't know if he can take them on. With Schalke so good away and... Nuremberg not as good as home, I I would expect them to slip up. And f- more interestingly, Kiel is one of the best teams outside the top five of the Rückrunde 2. They're still not good away from home, so I wouldn't be too scared for Werder Bremen, but they are better at home, so I would be a bit scared for Nuremberg. Well, I mean, if we take a closer look of what is to come the following weeks, you know, we've mentioned this already. HSV, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we were, or three or four weeks ago, we were sort of thinking, well, well, they're done with all the top seven teams. Great. For them, they might be a contender for promotion. Well, turns out they are currently on 48 points, and with the four games remaining, they could get to, you know, 60, which is not great if, you know, the top team is already on 56. Nuremberg, they have two out of the top five teams remaining, which are St. Pauli and Schalke. St. Pauli is away from home. Schalke is at home for them. Darmstadt, only St. Pauli left. And then St. Pauli, wow, they've got three teams out of the top five. And Schalke have three teams out of the top five. And Werder Bremen, much like Darmstadt, only one. So if you present it in that context and you think, right, Darmstadt and Werder have three very winnable games here. I mean, Darmstadt have our Düsseldorf and Paderborn. Paderborn are probably not going to have anything to play for. Daniel Tijun at Fortuna Düsseldorf, let's not forget to mention that, still undefeated, but, you know, probably nothing to play for on match day 33. Our probably relegated on match day 31. And you think, well, hang on, on paper, given the, you know, the fact that Everybody's playing against each other, especially St. Pauli and Schalke. And those teams are going to take points from one another. That sort of doesn't really mean that Darmstadt or Werder Bremen are entirely out of it, right? 
Exactly. And I wouldn't even put Hamburg out of it still as well. Um, I think with Hamburg on paper, all of those games are winnable. Darmstadt, the, the thing is with Darmstadt, Nuremberg was winnable and Schalke was winnable too, especially with some of the games that we've seen from Darmstadt earlier in the season, the 4-0 against Pauli, etc. So that's where you have to kind of question where Darmstadt are right now. One win in five, only one other draw in those five against Sandhausen. Everyone's one running against Sandhausen too. Absolutely everyone, if you're North German or not North German. And a loss to Verda. All, all the big teams Darmstadt are losing to. If you lose to Pauli, that's them another three points away. I think the worst thing is these games right now, we can say, ah, oh, yeah, but the next three are winnable. But if they lose that one, that's basically a six-pointer from the off. So really, if you can keep it to a draw, great. And then win the next three, that's fine. But that also, I needed to come up with a formula that figures out how close Hamburg can get if everyone else, because there'll be one team out of these four or two teams out of these four that they will probably drop enough points for Hamburg to then come up. And it's interesting to also note that Pauli and Darmstadt right now are performing at a similar level. They've both dropped off far off from where they had been. Pauli has been down there for kind of a while, got back a bit up, but still not as good as they were. Darmstadt dropped right down with Pauli. So those are the two that you could see drop for Hamburg's sake. I mean, <laughs> there are a lot of interesting constellations here. So, you know what, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that next match day. Now, let's go straight from the top of the table to what's been going on at the bottom. Well, our got a win against Heidenheim on the weekend, but too little too late for them. Magical uh, in- comeback season. Well, you know, Ingolstadt not really rewarding himself, as their coach Riem uh, usually says after matches. And, you know, those two sides are pretty much relegated they're going back down to the third division the two of them however Dynamo Dresden they've changed coaches as we talked a little bit about a couple of episodes ago but well they are in a bit of a pickle because Zanthausen, Düsseldorf, Hanover 96, Hansa Rostock they've all you know over the last few weeks started to pick up points here and there and that leaves Dynamo Dresden six points off the beat with Four matches to go. So, at this point, the officials at the Rudolf Harbig Stadium must think, well, right, who are we going to meet in the relegation playoff, right? Yeah, it's a weird one with Dresden. I think everyone saw their drop-off from earlier in the season. They couldn't really get back into it with Alexander Schmidt. And after that 1-0 loss against Darmstadt at home, they decided to get Capretti in. And... The thing is, the games after they brought Capretti in, they had away at Werder Bremen, at home against Pauli, away to Nuremberg. It's not an easy run. Uh, No, at home to Schalke. Like, that's not the run you want as a new manager. Especially one that hasn't been in the Spiter Bundesliga. (laughs) It's sort of like, you know being nine years old and told tomorrow you're taking your A-levels in mechanics. <laughs> I, 
I, I, I like Capretti. I like his style of football. I think under Alexander Schmidt, do you think they would have gotten a draw against Pauli, against Nuremberg? They weren't that bad against Schalke either. They also picked up a point against Kiel at home, but, you know, so far, no wins. And where you'd think against Sandhausen, you could get a draw, keep them in touch. Sandhausen, they are the best team of the Rook render outside of the top five. I think they're fourth. Yeah, I mean, you you know, we've talked about this before when they were down in the dumps. And, you know, Mike usually says Sandhausen always stays in. So, you know, they, they are the herpes of the Bundesliga too. They never go away. And, you you know, they bother you because the style of football they've played, traditionally speaking, is, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Fucking awful to watch. <laughs> Physical. Yeah, well, there you go. They play to their strengths, which is not great for a neutral eye. Yeah, I mean, Leo Messi couldn't make it on, on a cold Monday night in Stoke. Sandhausen <laughs> could. <laughs> exactly. Um, but what's more interesting with what's happening at Dresden at the moment is their captain, Knipping, said about Capretti's style of, well, what seemed as a very obvious dig in Capretti's style of football is that there's no point in having the ball unless you score, which kind of digs at the style change that they're undertaking from someone like Alexander Schmidt or even Marcus Kalzinski to Capretti, which is more possessional-based, likes possession, likes to play with the ball into space and score from there and Dresden are still not scoring but what Knipping said is kind of factually untrue because you need to have the ball to score so it's a it's a failure but also it doesn't speak highly of the kind of attitude to this new coach either it's kind of silly because they weren't scoring much with Alexander Schmidt they weren't scoring more with that kind of football either so maybe it's not the style of football and maybe it can be down to the quality of players the quality that you're up against on the eye Dresden are playing a lot better and that Schalke game was really really unlucky so then what's the next step they are how many points are they are off Sandhausen they are six points so with you know so Four matches to go. Twelve points of yeah. I mean they. Really. I mean the, for for them, uh, they would have to at least get two wins and one draw, and to for Zandhausen to lose everything in the remaining last four matches. So that's not going to happen. As we know, Zandhausen have some pretty big teams coming up, so maybe. But it looks like it's really unlikely. So let's look at who they could face from the three leaguer. So. Right now, I think the, the three leaguers are really close and they've all played a different amount of games, which doesn't make our jobs any easier. But looking at it, it looks most likely that there's three teams that they could face. Kaiserslautern, which I think is less of a possibility because I think Kaiserslautern will go through straight promotion along with Magdeburg. And then the other two are... Braunschweig and Osnabrück, who are likely. Let me just chime in and say right now, uh, FC Magdeburg is uh, topping the Dritte Liga with the 69 points. Nice. One game in hand. Kaiserslautern are in second, having played 33 matches. They are on 63 points. Braunschweig is just two points behind them. So that, you know, 
on 61 points. Uh, Kaiserslautern obviously have the better goal difference. Mm-hmm. Whilst you have Osnabrück on 54, but they do have two games in hand, which are potentially six points. Which out of those three sides would, uh, you know, Dres probably like to meet the most? Well, for anyone who has been watching Dresden for a while will know that they've already faced Osnabrück in a relegation playoff twice in 2011 and 2013 and they were um they won both of those <laughs> they qualified in both of those playoffs so most likely Osnabrück again because if you have the experience in either a stadium or type of fan and atmosphere you normally have that record and it's very hard to get rid of those results in 2011 was 1-1 at home at Dresden and then they won 3-1 away and then they lost one way away to Osnabrück and then won 2-0. So kind of really good uh, record against them in playoffs and better the devil you know. I think it might even be Osnabrück over Braunschweig 2 just because Osnabrück has only lost once in 2022 and I know Braunschweig are also very, very good. But to only lose against Kaiserslautern in this part of the year is quite an effort in something that's that chaotic. And Braunschweig just lost a couple of weeks ago against Saarbrücken, who was close. Um, They've also lost against uh, Zwickau further along ago. So I honestly think Osnabrück can catch them up. And I was having a look at the coaches, which I've forgotten which coach is which, because anyone who follows Dritte Liga knows that it's quite incestual. (laughs) (laughs) One coach goes to another team, and then you can't remember which one goes where. Marco Anverp manages Kaiserslautern. Okay, yeah. yeah, Let's start there. And he used to be at Braunschweig, I think. Yeah, yeah. Which he isn't now anymore. If that is where your confusion started, you know, where where things started to go awry in in your mind. (laughs) Which is often. And then we have also, who's the Versberg kickers one? The guy, the guy. And the Sandhagen one. Wasn't that Marco Antwerp as well? The guy who was fired by Felix Maggot in a rather unceremoniously way. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God, it's all come screaming back. So, I mean. (laughs) Yeah. I, th- I think the guy at Braunschweig, isn't he called Michael Schieler? Yes! That's the guy who barely lasts any, to, like, at any job. Then it's Daniel Scherning at Osnabrück, and then there we go, we've done it. Well, there we go. Um, we did it. Anyways, uh, so if we wanted to rate them, I mean, in terms of styles of football, I think both Kaiserslautern and Braunschweig uh, probably have a more potent attack overall than Osnabrück. Kaiserslautern would probably be the toughest side out of the three of them as they are, yeah, you know, absolutely. because they're very inf- effective in front of goal. They don't need many chances to score, but they're tight as hell at the back, which you cannot really say about either Braunschweig or Osnabrück as, you know, both of them concede around a, a goal per game. Which, you know, Kaiserslautern, who've conceded 20 out of 33 matches, you know, they, they are in a league for by themselves when it comes, you know, to defending in the Dritte Liga. And uh, that usually bodes well for us in a playoff, whilst, uh, you know, Braunschweig, Osnabrück struggling a little bit more, but still decent in defence. So, um, 
and you know, going by form, you probably, I mean, just going by form, you probably the least likely, uh, the least enjoyable opposition right now, you know, going by how Osnabrück actually have turned things around in the Dutta Liga. And, you know, you know, they were sort of mid, mid table and, you know, you argued with the historic stats and I would argue, well, Osnabrück, they've been catching up a quite a big lead over the weeks. And if they manage to get into that promotion playoff for them, they might actually be a more dangerous proposition than Braunschweig, just going on recent form. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I think also the fact that they have to catch up two games where everyone else, it might take them out of it too. To have two extra games, then another two games closer to the time might be a little bit too much of them. As well as they have played and have caught up and not lost, they're Games are still quite chaotic. I mean, the last two games, both 3-2 wins. They score a lot of goals, but yeah, they can concede quite a few as on top at times. Right. I think that is going to be the last word for the first part of the show. We'll be back in part two with a little bit of news about, well, how well Osnabrück, it turns out, and a bit of ground hopping, so stay tuned for that. On this episode of Talking Foosball Extra, the Aufstieg edition, we simply cannot get enough of VfL Osnabrück. You know, the team playing at the Bremer Straße, a team from northern Germany, a city which, you know, is um, probably as charming as, I don't know, Croydon on a Sunday morning. <laughs> so, Jasmine, what, what has caught our eyes this week then? I thought you were about to ask me, what is Croydon like? I was like, I could not put that into the We would have to words. ask Terry DeFellon, <laughs> who is from Croydon, and I love him, by the way. So, Osnabrück instead of Croydon. I'm sure it can't be as bad as Croydon. Um, <laughs> oh, Croydon is lovely. Croydon, it, it has its parts. Um, <laughs> Osnabrück against uh, Fell last Monday. We are now on the 18th, Easter Monday. Happy Easter if you're celebrating. Last Monday, Osnabrück faced Fell. And uh, for the first half, Osnabrück fans, or a part, a section of their fans, were completely silent for the first half of the game. And if you wondered why, they were basically still protesting Monday night games. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, Monday night games were a thing in uh, the Spite Bundesliga until the DFL said, okay, we've, I guess we've listened to our fans and we're not going to have any Monday night games anymore for next season. And then, but they didn't cancel. They couldn't cancel because it's a different board. The DFB did not also cancel lower league, Dritte Liga, and they're on um, Monday's games either. So we had a protest. And then the third league also got their way, but those Monday night games aren't going until the start of the 23-24 season. So, yeah, they they are protesting because of the remaining Monday games. So I'm guessing that they just want the Monday games to cease from next season because I'm sure the, it would be a faff to do that, but I'm sure the heads and the DFB can actually do that. So they're still protesting the remaining Monday night games. And there's some really funny um, 
the signs that went up, one of the younger ultras um, said, uh, Mondays, do I have to do detention in regards to a Monday 6.30 game? But the ultras of Osnabrück are asking all the other fans to also protest with them and stay silent for the first part of the 45 minutes. Well, I mean... You know, I mean, you, you get the sentiment, but now that the clubs in the Dritteliga said, okay, well, we ha- we do have contractual agreements that extend to, you know, 2024 or whatever year. So we're going to honour those agreements. But from then on out, we're not going to do Monday night matches. So they've listened, they've heard the message, and they've decided, okay, we're going to implement that change. Isn't it a bit like a small, petulant child that gets to hear... Right, right, right. You you said candy, you said candy, but you know, we have to, you know, drive to the store, get the candy, and then you can get it. And the child goes, No, I want my candy straight away. Well, I don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly. I mean I mean first there's the possibility they're not even in this league next season. I wonder if the protests will still go on. I want them to still protest even if they're not in the league. Otherwise, they're, they're faking it. They're, they were, they were um, performance activists. Secondly, I, I kind of agree with you. The DFB probably... There was probably... When the second league got rid of their Monday games, there was probably a little bit more leeway to also do it around the same time or at least a year earlier. Maybe not. I don't know the contractual issue, issues. But... You know, it will go at the end of the 23-24 and if there is, you know, a TV right that also brings in revenue because of that, it's quite hard to protest against and argue against. That's how I feel about it anyway. But you know, the protests aren't hurting anyone. They're stupid, but actually they're not stupid, but they're slightly silly. They got their way and they have to take a year to get it, but... You know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's sort of like there's so many other things you could protest about when it comes to fans' rights, and you chose this. I mean, it was a Monday night match, to be fair, but, you know, you chose this. You've already gotten your way. Anyways, usually at this point of our show, uh, Mike Krickenmeyer, who we have dearly missed on on this episode, he usually gives us some ground-hopping advice, so this time around, I'm actually thinking that I could, you know, jump in and try to do just that, and... I've actually chosen a place in Berlin, which I think is a, is a great city when it comes to, you know, a football trip because um, everything is easy to reach by public transport, first of all. Second of all, you've got teams playing in several divisions. You've got uh, Union, Hertha, which are probably going to play in the two top divisions next season. And then you've got Victoria Berlin, who may or may not play in the Dritte Liga next season. And below that... You do have, you know, a couple of other sides in Tasmania and Tibet playing in the Regionalliga. And below that again, below the fifth tier, you've got the sixth tier of German football. And in Berlin, it's called the Berlin Liga. And it's an absolutely magical place with a lot of great teams. And one of the teams I've been to in Berlin is SD Croatia Berlin, which is a team that was formed by Croatian immigrants. That club is actually a merger of two Croatian teams. And that club is actually the first team formed by immigrants that went up all the way to the Regionalliga. That happened, I think, back in the 90s. First immigrant-formed team to do that. And they play their matches at the Friedrich-Ebert-Stadion. Now, Friedrich-Ebert, if you don't know your German history too well, um, 
was the I think the first president of Germany after World War One. He was in uh, he was the German president from uh, 1919 until 1924 25. I think he died shortly after that. A social Democrat, so so a good man. Anyways, the Friedrich Ebert uh, Stadion is it's sort of a it has a running track, but it's cozy and it, you know there's grass growing on 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 the stands. Most of it is standing areas. There's there's a bit of seating there. Going to the matches is dirt cheap, as it's the Berlin Liga. An added bonus, if you, unlike me, eat meat, is is that SD Croatia actually serves Chivapchi, which is the a traditional Croatian dish. And from what I've heard by uh, from Matt Herman and uh, Terry DeFallon, who ate that stuff when when we went there, the three of us, it was absolutely magical. So if you if you you know want to have a bit of hungover fun on a Sunday afternoon um you know or late morning sd croatia berlin top-notch tip if you're in berlin absolutely go go to that enjoy a bit of shivapchi and i think they were serving warsteiner when we were there but you know can't guarantee that they're still doing that but oh, you know berlin liga greatest liga in germany still spite for me <laughs> have to keep on brand well well there you go. <laughs> it's been an absolute joy uh Getting to talk to you, Jasmine. Um, uh, great to at least get a condensed version out of the Aufstieg edition out on the ether. Next week, we'll actually be back with a full episode of Aufstieg. I'll promise you that, so you can look forward to that. But um, anyways, uh, Jasmine, before I let you go, uh, where can people find you on Twitter and where can they find your work? Yeah, my Twitter is underscore Jasmine Barber and there you can find all the wonderful bits and bobs I'll be doing all about Europe, apparently. I particularly enjoy the bobs. <laughs> uh, anyways, my name is Nick Viltong. You can find me at Norm Musings. You can find the podcast at Talking Foosball. You can find us on Patreon. And, you know, if you have, I don't know, three or five dollars to spare each month, you can get loads and loads and loads of historical content straight onto uh, your phone or whatever listening device you're using and listen to that for a very reasonable amount of money that is on our Patreon page please check that out anyways uh, next up on this channel are the fantasy boys Flo and James who aren't going to tell you what Erling Haaland's resurgence of late means for your fantasy site I'm sure anyways until next week goodbye for now <laughs>